And when ye tallow hardens, we remove it from yon mold. <laughs> what a crappy candle! You've ruined our vacation! Hello, and welcome to The Simpsons Countdown, the podcast where we go back to the beginning and watch all of The Simpsons, tracing the creative evolution of the series and counting down to find the exact moment in which it began its downhill journey into irrelevance. I'm Eric's Antoine, and this week I'm joined by my dear friend Josh Fine. We'll be discussing I Married Marge, which originally aired on December 26th, 1991. The episode was written by Jeff Martin and directed by Jeffrey Lynch. In this episode, Marge thinks she may be pregnant and goes to visit Dr. Hibbert. In the meantime, Homer tells Bart, Lisa, and Maggie the story of the early days of his marriage and the circumstances surrounding Bart's birth. The episode is the second of the big flashbacks chronicling the early days of The Simpsons and as such, it is kind of a sequel to The Way We Was. Josh and I talked about that one last season, and it's only natural that we sit down now to discuss this one. So without further ado, here we go. Kid, I won't let you down. I swear to you. When you come out of there, the first thing you're going to see is a man with a good job. Yeah, the doctor. (laughs) So here we are again, Josh, talking about a... This is the sequel to The Way We Was. So, of course, it is a kind of... It's appropriate that you and I be talking about this. It's the sequel. It's the second flashback episode of The Simpsons. It continues. It picks up the story, basically, where The Way We Was left off. The Way We Was left off with Homer and Marge getting together. Right? That's right. It doesn't, it doesn't really touch upon any more of the intricacies of their relationship after that. It just touch, it, it touches upon how they met, how they fell in love, how they got together, and that's where it stays. And now here we go into detail of their early days. The early days of their relationship, the early days of their marriage, and that's what this episode is really about. It once again uses the flashback structure, which... In difference to the first one, like I think the flashback structure here, you know, the framing device is a lot more, it's better. Because the framing device for the first one was like the TV broke, so let me tell you a story. It's kind of like, all right, they pulled that out of their ass. But here, there is an organic reason. There's a reason for this story to be told. I always talk about that, you know, like uh, whether it's this or the X-Files podcast, I always talk about a story having a pregnant moment. You know, and how that like needs to be like there's a reason for the story to be told at this moment. So here it literally is a pregnant moment. It's Marge believing that she may be pregnant. Pregnancy test. Barnacle Bill's home pregnancy kit does not work. And but it came with a a free corn cob pipe. That's right. Yes. And so she has to go to the doctor to see if uh, she's pregnant. In the meantime, Homer decides, you know, reminisces about their first their first experience of Marge being pregnant. And that's a good setup. And I think that it works a lot better than something ham-fisted like, oh, the TV broke, you know? Well, Uh, it's not one of those uh, typical sitcom tropes that we've talked about in the past and that have come up throughout this podcast. I think it's something that, as you said, it's a more natural framing. 
So before we get into it, what is like what what's your opinion of this episode? What's your memory of it? And what's your current opinion of it? Well, it's it's another episode I saw first run. Uh, it was an yeah. excellent episode. Yeah, I'll me never too. forget. I think I saw it with my folks um, laughing pretty hard when the old woman grabs the business end of the slash co knife. <laughs> I was still laughing at that. Yeah, uh, it's it's a classic episode. Oh, hello, young man. Good evening, madam. You have been selected by the good people of Slash Co. to reap the benefits of their new Nevar Dole knife edge. Here, shake hands with the Slash Co. Ah! Handle first. Handle first. It's it's definitely in the canon of this of you know the great Simpsons episodes. I think again we see more of that foundation being laid about the relationship of Homer and Marge, and you know what they've what they went through. And I think it's it's really interesting that, one, obviously, it's been 30 years since this episode was first aired, so we have to now remind ourselves that Bart would now be 41 years old by the time, <laughs> by this point in time. Yes. But that Homer um, was 24 when he had Bart. So he's actually, we learn, we figure out that he was born in uh, 1956, and that, uh, you know, he's only 34 and he's got three kids. And that, you know, it was of that, you know, not even, you know, of that era, but of, you know, those times you would expect to have kids when you're a bit, you know, younger in life. And it's, you know, in the circles I travel and I don't have kids of my own. And, but I know of people that are around my age that they either had their first kid. I know one woman who used to be my boss, uh, has three kids and she's a couple of years younger than me. And it's something to see that get, you know, as you get older that you encounter, you know, people that, you know, they're having children themselves. And, I think it's, you know, as you said about the framing, I think you're right about the framing. I think it's even funny that they're making fun of the framing. The fact that the kids are disinterested by what, with what Homer says. The fact that they're playing croquet in the backyard. That's how bored they are from uh, Homer's conversation <laughs> yes. about Bart. And then later on, they're playing Chinese checkers. But it's, it's again, more of that humor coming through with uh, still some excellent uh, sentimental moments. I think in the episode and then framed all in the yet another great flashback episode where we have some period references to 1980, which I always think is kind of a weird year to depict because as Homer says, it's the beginning of that turbulent decade, the eighties and it's 1980, you know, Carter's still president. It's still the seventies for, for, for all intensive purposes. Uh, the eighties hadn't become the eighties for a couple, won't be for a couple of years. So everything's all still looking like the seventies uh you know we got a couple of references here and there there's the logical song which i got wrong the last time when i thought it was a billy joel song and i think you said it was a super tramp song right yes it's a super tramp the logical song yeah um actually interesting what you just said about 1980 because it is very much a kind of it's the 80s but it's still the 70s for all intents and purposes and you're absolutely right in in terms of aesthetics in terms of just a general pop. It's it's a transitional period. Like those years, like 80 to about 82, I think is kind of a transitional period between the 70s and the 80s in terms of what we consider, you know, uh, in terms of cultural and socio-political aspects. It is kind of a transitional period where it's not really the 70s, but it's not really the 80s. You know, it's this period that's sort of there. And it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, that the, the aesthetics of it and all of that, how the episode goes, puts little details 
and their cultural touchstones. And I guess like when you look back, when, when they have those, those things on VH1 or whatever, right. Mm -hmm. And they talk about like, Oh, I love the eighties or whatever. And they have like, uh, the top 10 cultural milestones of the 80s. And what I'm wondering is, do these things show up there? I mean, does Empire Strikes Back show up there? Does uh, Dallas, you know, I shot JR, does that show up there or not? You know, because it's part of this transitional period. Um, starting with Dallas, for example, right? Dallas is a show that, of course, was huge in the 80s. So if you, you think back to TV of the 80s, you think of Dallas, the, you know, primetime soap. But it began in the 70s. And I'm not sure in which season it happened. I'm not sure where the famous Dallas episode, A House Divided, aired, which is, you know, the season finale of Dallas, whichever season that was, where JR was mysteriously shot and then... You know, all summer long, everybody was like, ooh, who shot JR? And then you had like, that was the, but I, I don't know what year that was. No, that was 1980. That was, that the was in fact 1980. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was, so that was 1980. So that would have been, so basically the events of this episode, like this episode, I suppose, takes place in like the summer and fall of 1980. Yeah, uh, I would, I would agree with that because we see well, the, well, um, yeah, Marge isn't pregnant by the time. Empire comes out, which I think was what that would have been. What that spring? would have been the summer, the summer of nineteen eighty. You know, let's let's do. Actually, you're you're totally right. You know what? That's that's right there. That tells us when this episode takes place. I mean, it takes place presumably. It takes place over several months. It right. takes place over a, yeah. a, a a nine month period. But um, they go out on that date. It opened on May twenty first, nineteen eighty. Okay, so late, uh, so the start of summer, basically. Yeah, so basically, so we, we could, you know, we don't have any way of knowing if they went to see it on opening night, but, you know, we can imagine that they must have gone somewhere in that week. Well, not, not only that, it, it, it's pedantic to say that if they got, you know, Bart was conceived on the night of, uh, you know, when they saw Empire, then, yeah, he would have been bored in 1981, but, you know, that's yeah. neither here nor there. Uh, no, but hang on, let me stop. I mean, that's yeah. totally fine if he was born in 81, because it would mean that he's 10 years old in 1991. Yeah, you're so, right. So it totally, it's fine. Okay, it works. then he would be 40 as of today, as of this year. But I'll say this about Empire. You know, the scene where, uh, you know, Homer and Marge are going outside the line. Homer does the big spoiler about Empire, about Darth Vader being Luke's uh, father. My dad, um, he saw Empire in the theater. And that was, I, I remember him telling me that, yeah, when that reveal came through, I mean, it's not groundbreaking when you, when you you hear about this type of thing happening, but yeah, everyone in the theater was shocked by that by that reveal. They were completely blown away, and that you had to worry about people, you know, walking outside the theater and blabbing uh, about what was about to happen because you would have had no idea that was coming. And then um, I never was uh, spoilers never bothered me about that type of thing, and because usually I end up with a lot of stuff I end up watching a little bit later. So like the stuff would say, I know you just finished WandaVision, so all that stuff is going out. And I always find all that stuff pretty funny to, to read about how people react and things like that. It is interesting, the climate that we're living in now, right, where what happens at the end of I mean, Empire Strikes Back would have been a big deal in mm -hmm. 1980, right? But see, I think people are terrified of spoilers now. Um, in difference to you, like I care about spoilers. Like if you spoil a movie that I'm interested in or anything that I'm interested in, a movie, a TV show, a book a video game at this point. Right. 
Um, yeah, I'll be pissed off. But uh, it, it's the climate we live in now. We live in fear of this. You know, whereas in 1980, what happens there could literally only happen there. You know, like you would have to be online waiting for the movie and some asshole coming out would have to be raving about the movie, giving away the ending in order for that to happen. It's just that now what happens there on that line happens on Twitter. You know, yeah, we're, we're, and, and the, the yeah. way to get around that is you just don't participate on social media for the most yeah, exactly. part. It's actually have, very easy to get around. Yes, know? it really is. It's just that it just goes to show how many how how connected some people are or choose to be. Well, that they want to be controlling about it. You know, it to me it's always, you know, it's you know, self-responsibility doesn't always is is not always applicable in certain situations. This is where it's one of them. It's like you can easily dodge this type of thing. And also you know that you only have a certain amount of time before this is going to be public knowledge. I mean, I'll never forget it. I think I may have even said it on this show where uh, the reveal of the uh, the crying game was a huge pop culture event. You couldn't escape yes. it. And that, that reveal true. has nothing to do with the movie at all. It's actually supposed to be this uh, thriller about the Irish Republican Army and Forrest Whitaker is in it. And, and you could not escape it. And it just threw, That's true. threw everyone for a loop. They couldn't be, yes. they couldn't contain themselves. And I was hearing this. You hear it in a later episode of The Simpsons. You hear it in In Living Color. You could not escape it. It was a net. I think it was even in Seinfeld. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's parodied in Ace Ventura. Yeah. Uh, quite famously, uh, it's, it's this thing where, well, here's the thing about that. Like, I know for a fact that that was a huge thing where as soon as that movie came out and everybody was talking about it, then everybody was talking about quote unquote, the secret of the crying game. And, and, you know, and in the ads, it, it, like it would even say the movie everybody's talking about, but nobody is giving away its secrets. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I think everybody, like you can look up this ad, like on, on you know, if you look up like old archive where they have like uh, newspaper ads and whatever, you'll see that. And then, or it might've even been like on the back of the, of the video box or whatever. But the point is, that's actually not true. Everybody was talking about it and everybody was specifically talking about the secrets. Now here's the thing about the crying game. Okay, so I was lucky because when the crying game came out, that's, what is it, 92, I think? 92, yeah. Yeah, I think by the time The Crying Game came out, I was already living in La Paz, Bolivia. I had already come here. And so I wasn't in the U.S. for that, for the whole big hoopla. And there was still no internet. So there was nothing. There was no, I didn't know anything about it. The only, the only thing I knew about The Crying Game was because I would get like a Premiere Magazine and Entertainment Weekly. So, you know, there was some stuff there from like when it was about to come out and i think i there was like a blurb for it or like a small piece for it on some premiere magazine that i got on the plane coming over to bolivia and so i kept it you know and I, it's it's one of those meds so it had like the plastic overlay that has like american american airlines on the on the spine and there it said like you know something about the crying game being this this good thriller from director neil jordan speaks nothing of the uh, of the secret right. and it is basically talking about it as as you were saying as if it were a political thriller about the IRA and the conflict and and all of that the troubles as they call it and all of that so I thought that's what it was and you know I filed it away because I liked the director I liked Forrest Whitaker as an actor I wasn't familiar with Stephen Ray 
whatever. I, I, I liked the director and I liked the, the actors involved and I didn't think about it. And then about a year, yeah, close to about a year later, I'm back in the U.S. on vacation and I'm hanging out at my cousin's house and I, he either taped it or it was going to come on cable. I don't know what it was. He had already seen it, but he's all like, oh, you've got to check out this movie, The Crying Game. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think I heard about that. And remembering from like the premiere thing. And he goes like, have you heard? Have you heard? I was like, no, I just, you don't know. He's like, you don't know anything about it? I'm like, no, I don't know anything about it. I just know it's about the IRA or something. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Well, just watch it. Just enjoy it. I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, <laughs> I was sitting there and I watch it. And so I was totally floored by it. I was like, whoa, what, a, what an interesting movie. And what a, you know, what an interesting twist and et cetera, right? But... Now, flash forward many, many years later. Okay, flash forward about, uh, okay, I'm going to say this would be in the early days of my marriage, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm, I'm showing The Crying Game, which I have on DVD, and I'm showing it to my ex-wife. And she's never seen it. She's never heard of it. Okay? So I go like, hey, you want to watch The Crying Game? She's like, sure, let's watch that, whatever that is. She's, she doesn't know what it is. She's Bolivian, she, you know, whatever. And so I put that on, we're watching the movie. And within the first 10 minutes, it did not fool her for a minute. Like the, the, the twist was blown within the first 10 minutes of the movie and she just blurted it out. She's like, okay, so that's whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so, so, so I was like, okay. I, I think I had the same reaction with you. I, I could have sworn I messaged you. This must've been years ago when I finally watched it. And I was like, when I was, right. when I was, how could you not tell? Um, you know, like this—this this well, was a shock to audiences. I mean, but here's the thing: you, you can. It was surprised. to some. It, it was, was to some. It was like it was to me, uh, and that and that it was. And I remember like it was to me, and I watched it, and I was like, "Whoa, it's okay, interesting." And then I sat down. You know, months later, I watched it with my dad because my dad, like, who also had not heard of the movie, mm-hmm. so this was the advantage of like not being in the states because you wouldn't be caught up in the whole cultural thing. And I remember, like, we're, we're sitting there, we're, you know, we're watching the movie, scene comes on, my dad's leaning back, you know, my dad, a, a very masculine heterosexual male, you know, uh, he, and he uh, sort of just, the scene comes up, oh, she can do my hair anytime. So I'm just laughing, you know, because I'm waiting for the big moment, because I know it's coming. Oh, and man. so, like, and so that's the thing, I'm like, all right, well, so, and yet now, prob- for whatever reason, now it probably doesn't work. Uh, no, like, I, I think it's. I would be curious. Like, it would be interesting to sit down with someone because the thing with you know, like with my ex-wife is one thing, but I'm pretty sure that that experience that she had must have been the same for many people back then. But for some reason, I think it was even more prevalent now. Yeah, I, I would. I, I would. I would agree with that. I mean, here's the thing. You know, you, you look back at certain things and you think, how could this be the case? You know, the the great example of. Uh, you know, I remember this from Behind the Candelabra, a wonderful uh, TV movie with Michael Douglas as Liberace. And he had sued, you know, the women loved Liberace. No one knew that Liberace was gay and that he had even sued a tabloid and won that said mm-hmm. he was gay. And he, he won uh, won a case and basically tried to in, in court saying that he wasn't. And in it's one of those you had to be there type moments, I guess. One thing that you brought up, brought up that is that is. Uh a key. You said it's this twist that is a big shock and that if you tell someone, you know, they might get pissed off. But the movie does not actually hinge on that twist. 
It's not like blowing the ending of like The Sixth Sense or something. It's not like that. It's it's basically like a it's something that happens halfway through the movie that then changes your perception of everything that's come before it and colors what comes next. And it's very interesting. It's an interesting thing. And uh, you then explore the relationship between these two people now that the dynamics of that relationship have changed. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it's something that, that entirely ruins uh, the movie for anyone. You know, it ruins the surprise, maybe, but chances are that that person was going to be able to see it coming anyway. Unless, unless like me, they just, you know, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> or me or my father who just didn't, for whatever reason, see it coming. I think that uh, twists, you know, like, spoiling The Empire Strikes Back, okay, in 1980, I can see that being a real fuck you kind of thing. You know, I, I can see that being a real, oh my God, like, really, you had to blow that? Like, that, that, that was a nice little surprise. Because that's literally the ending of the movie. Well, right. and on top of that, you're standing in line for the movie. You know, it's it's uh, you know it's a real dickhead move. And yeah. uh, it, it interestingly, the guy who says, "Well, thank you, Mister Blow the Picture for me." That's Dan Castellan in his real voice. He's just voicing that one guy. Yeah, yeah, that guy who looks very 1980. He's yeah. got the he's got the stash. He's got like the you know it's he, that's period detail. Period detail is important. Oh yeah, very much that 70 again the 70s overhang. Doctor Hibber has still got his afro. Uh, weirdly, they didn't make any period changes to Mr. Burns. They did it to they did it to Smithers. He had a different haircut. Um, but I, I, you know, I think it's fascinating with this episode because you get this from the commentaries that there are, you know, Sam Simon had uh, was kind of deriding the writers for saying you have like material for three episodes here, and not only did you were able to cram three episodes worth of material, this episode runs a little bit short. That's why you have certain images that kind of freeze, like uh, when. Uh, Patty, Selma, and Marge are taking their picture. It kind of freezes yeah. for a second. The other scene where it freezes is at the uh, where Homer, in his montage of various jobs, goes and um, he works at a dog training school. Yeah, and he's just staring at the sign for what must be like five, ten seconds, and it just freezes. Yeah. And because the episode ran short, it's not like a technical issue with the DVD. Yeah. Or anything like that. Okay, that's interesting. It is very plotted. I, I, I saw that behind-the-scenes detail that you are talking about, where they said, you know, this should have been, this could have been two or three separate episodes instead of just cramming it all into one episode. And I don't think I agree. I, I don't think you can make a whole episode just about Homer getting his job or just about um, Bart's birth. I mean, you could potentially do one just about Homer getting his job. And that's that's basically the dramatic arc of the episode but you couldn't do one just about bart's birth you know what it would have just... been like with bart's birth it probably would have been like the film knocked up basically that it would have right. been something like an animated form because you realize you know if it had been a full episode about homer having to deal with the fact he's got a kid on the way you know there would have been a scene where he's trying to he realizes he needs to take more self responsibility responsibility for himself you know, because in that one scene where he decides he's going to leave because uh, he has to go out and support his family, it's, you know, you wouldn't, there's nothing that, it's just something that he decides on his own because his, his dad, Abe Simpson, is, again, giving horrible advice, basically yeah. cheering him on the fact that he knocked this girl up, got her, you know, is, you know, having a kid out of wedlock, yeah. and he's proud of him. 
Yeah, no, he's basically saying, you lucky bum. <laughs> you, uh, what was like, the, the ship, the, no, the, uh, the fish jump right in the boat. All you got to do is whack her with the oar. Yeah. So basically saying, like, you lucked out because this, because he says, like, why? Because it's the right thing to do. He's like, no, because you'll never do any better. <laughs> right? So basically saying, you got lucky. You got this girl pregnant, so now she has to marry you. You know, and that was like, that's like, whoa, that's really creepy and sleazy. Yeah, it is. I mean, that, that's Eight basically the, the plot of, you know, what happens in Knocked Up, which I'm sure you've seen. I mean, it's no, yes, no one has yes. probably seen that movie in years, but uh, yes. I remember seeing it in the theater. And I just, that's what I was thinking of when I was watching this episode. Yeah, I, I don't think that, honestly, I, I think, as you said, I think that we could have gotten it, but it's not necessary. I don't think we would have lost any, you know, the episodes yeah. would have been more bloated. They, you know, I don't think we would have gained any new insight. I think that the points that they're hitting are so impactful because, again, of the economy of storytelling, they have to, you know, they got to keep things moving. I mean, you have at the end, you know, where Homer goes to get his, gets his job at the plant by basically saying he'll be the most spineless uh, lackey you can get. Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah, wins the job yes. for that. Yes. Um, no, yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm saying. I think this episode is fine just the way it is. I don't think that it has enough material for three episodes at all. I think it is a very well-plotted, uh, focused episode, which is about that. It's about Homer, Homer's transition into adulthood. That's what it is. So it's, it's a perfect follow-up to the way we was, you know, which uh, showed his teen years, showed how he met Marge. And now here we have his transition into adulthood, into full adulthood. He's a young adult. He's 24 got a girl pregnant and um I, I mean the arc of the episode is him getting a job him becoming a responsible adult head of a household quote unquote and they're able to balance the moments of sentiment like we were saying that the decision that he makes you know to leave uh, you have these scenes that are like dramatic scenes uh dramatic scenes with touches of humor it it, it this one goes into that maudlin territory of a, as I've, I've labeled in the past, a James L. Brooks episode, right? This is very much a James L. Brooks episode. But I think that it manages to balance out its sentiment with humor so it doesn't feel so maudlin. So even in that, when he writes the letter, you know, it's like, you deserve all the greatest things in the world, and although I can get them for you, they will be repossessed. <laughs> so, like that—that's funny. Like that's a really funny line, you know. Within within the letter, it, it turns a, a potentially maudlin letter into a funny one because of that one line. And then, of course, you have like the job search montage, which, for me, is the highlight of the episode. It's the funniest sequence in the whole episode. That is, that's got some of my favorite laughs. Whether it's his job at like the you know, what is like the Renaissance fair or whatever it's it is. It's like working at like a, uh, like a you know, uh, ye oldie, like a Jamestown. Because um, I know, I think you said you've been to Virginia. They probably have one of those like town reenactments of like something from the 1700s type thing. And he yeah. made a candle so poor that it caused a little kid to cry. <laughs> yes, right. No, it's, um, that's my favorite line in the episode. And when you tallow hardens, you remove it from Jan Mold. Um, that... That whole sequence is great, but yeah, that thing, because I haven't been to, to that in Virginia, but I've been to things like it. Like uh, I've been to, I mean, it's been years, but when I was a kid, I used to spend a lot of time in Massachusetts. And at one point went to Salem, and obviously they've got museums there because of the history of Salem. Right. And I do remember, I don't know if it was in Salem specifically or near Salem, but there was this one thing where it was an old town. 
It was essentially an old town. You walked in there and everybody was dressed in costume and everybody was in character. So I did that once and one time someplace in upstate New York there was some like Civil War reenactment thing where everybody was dressed like in the Civil War and they were just in character once again. And that stuff's fun. So so I, I immediately got what that was. I was like, right, it's one of those, you know, recreate like, you know, he works as a guy, one of those stupid old town things. He gets fired from that. He gets he gets fired from being a knife salesman. He gets fired from I mean, it's it's a great it's a great, very funny sequence that uses the 1980 hit nine to five. Oh, absolute uh, classic. By, by Fantastic Dolly movie, too. But uh, very funny movie. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, he's willing to do what he has to do to support March. Again, balancing out the sentiment with some humor, with some cynical humor. And that's the thing. We see a, because this is a more, I guess, grounded episode, we also see a more grounded portrayal of Homer. Where, yeah, he's a jackass, but he's, he's not a, I mean, you know, he's, he's just a regular guy, you know? And well, he's an underachiever. I think he's, that, an under, yeah. he's an underachiever for sure. But he's somebody who, when the moment comes, he does sort of say, okay, he does assert himself, and he does make the effort. He goes out there, he tries to find a job. It's difficult for him, obviously. He's not very skilled. Uh, he's got limited skills and whatever else. But he's trying. He's trying really hard and to, to legitimately do it. When he marries Marge, when, when he proposes to Marge, he actually writes a very eloquent proposal. And you go like, the Homer Simpson that... I think of when I think of Homer Simpson, the Homer Simpson of seasons four through 10 and beyond is not somebody that I imagine writing an eloquent proposal like that. So it's interesting to see these little details still in these early episodes. Well, not only that, if you go back to the letter that he writes to Marge, it's in cursive handwriting. It's like, yes. I never realized Homer was able to write cursive, you know? Yeah. And uh, it, it's good penmanship too. It's excellent penmanship, yeah. Uh, yeah. That can easily dissolve when you put any water to it. But um, yeah, that was surprising. That was something I, I never remembered because it's such a minor detail. But that, yeah. yeah, he could be quite eloquent. He just may not be able to say it, but he could write it out, which is yeah. the detail we, you know, you don't. You, that certainly goes away as time goes on. Right. I think that it's. Uh, yeah, he's. It's something with Homer where he's always, and this happens when in the future episode where Maggie gets born. He does seem to have a, a real, um, you know, fascination where he's really adept at doing low-skilled amusement work, whether it's at the mini golf course or the bowling alley. He just loves to do that. And, right. Uh, well, it's he. He likes doing. He he dreams of doing what he loves. You know, yeah. like working at, for him, working on a golf course is the height of success. Mini golf course, not even a yeah, golf mini course. golf course. Yeah, mini golf. And like, yeah. um, and yeah, but the cursive thing. Like, for example, full confession, I cannot write cursive. Yeah, I I can't do it either. I can sign my name. Although when I look back on it, you know, I remember my first job out of college. Um, it was a legal type of company that had retired judges and attorneys working there, and. I had to read the reports, and some of the reports, you know, these are esteemed people. They wrote in cursive. I couldn't read what they were saying. So it was a real pain in the ass, actually, with cursive compared to print. And my dad couldn't write cursive, and it was just one of those annoying things that you were trying to, you were told you had to learn in school, and thankfully that they've done away with. Uh, 
again, you, when you talk about the balancing of the humor and the ser- and the seriousness of it, I think it's summed up actually in the last scene when you know Homer you know goes back to you know talking about what he did to you know when he had Bart and then that he was blessed with Lisa and Maggie, and they're proud of that. And I think that's you know I'm not a parent. I don't mm-hmm. plan on being a parent. I know you're a parent. Maybe you can relate to that last scene where he's grateful of the fact of that he's had the children that he's had, but he's immensely relieved that he's not having another kid because he doesn't oh, want yeah. to go through the process of raising another kid. Yeah, no, I, I can I can totally uh, sympathize. I can sympathize with the whole thing because it's it's very realistically portrayed. I think anybody who is a parent who has been through something even remotely similar to this. Uh, can relate to it because it's realistically presented, whether it's the reality of becoming a parent in your 20s and then having to struggle because you being married and having to struggle to find a good job so you can support your family and so on. That stuff's done in a very realistic way. Um, and then obviously at the end, right, when they're relieved, because they've got three, yeah. you know, and three is more than enough. Like, so... I was, I think, 25 when my daughter was born, okay? She's 18 now. She turned 18 recently. I was 25 when she was born. Uh, and that's it. That's all I had, right? And so I, and right now, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not married anymore, and I don't have any plans to have a kid. Now, if there would ever be the opportunity in the future, I would think long and hard about it. You know, it might be a deal breaker because I would ask myself, do I want in my 40s to have another kid now to to like to go through that? Like I would have been totally fine with it if if we if it had happened back then, you know, if we'd had maybe a second kid shortly after the first, because that's really the safest. The best way to do it, if you want to have more than one kid, is to try to have them right away. Right. Because if there's a huge space between them, then what ends up happening is that. Like, they're not growing up together, so there's that gap, you know, and so you're going through it all over again. Whereas there's a, a reason to do it when you can have two, because that way, you know, you'll two siblings that will be together, let's say. Okay, that, that's always good to, to give a child a sibling if you can, because that, can be, that can be a good thing. Not always, but right. it can be, right? Um, and especially if they grow up together, because that way they're sort of growing up together. You're sort of getting it out of, you're getting it out of the way. You're raising them at the same time. But when you have like five, six, seven, eight, ten years between them, eh, you know, it's like you're you're stopping and starting, stopping and starting. It's a it's a it's a roller coaster. Yeah, everything so, you described is is pretty much what happened with you know with my family. Certainly that my younger sisters and brother, like, and for clarity, like this youngest sister and brother are fraternal twins. So that's mm-hmm. how they're you know you have two of them. You know they're more. You know, they grew up together around at the same time, so they, you know, they're more, you know, relatable. You know, as you said, um, you know, people could do what they want. I always thought it was weird for me personally. Like, I'll give an example: Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum is going to be put is going to be seventy next year, and he had two young kids in his sixties. And what you know, I guess it goes back to what I was saying about with decision making. The last episode I was on, it's like you think there's like a heartfelt, deep thought out choice being made. Like, no, there was just. We got drunk once and then someone failed to put on a condom, that type of thing. Right. Well, usually, I mean, you know what? Like, that's usually what happens. (laughs) I mean, uh, you occasionally plan it. You occasionally think about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's but most of the time, the majority of times, it's what we saw 
happen in this episode. It's something that happens. You do sometimes get situations like, I have friends of mine, I'm not going to name them, but respect their privacy. But basically what ended up happening is that they're a couple, they've been together for many years, over a decade at this point, and well into it, but you know, they were really, she really wanted to have a kid. And so they, they were trying, they were trying and they were trying and, and it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. And, you know, she's already in her mid thirties. So it's like, it's time. This has to happen. This has to happen now, you know? And so they eventually were able to do it, you know, but it was a planned thing. You know, she, she had treatment and that kind of thing. Right. So to get it done. So that's a situation where somebody planned it and said, okay, I'm going to do this. I want this to happen now. We're going to do this now. Um, but that's not the usual case. I think most of the time it's like what we see portrayed in this episode, you know, two people go see a good movie Get a little drunk. Actually, I was gonna say, get a little drunk with uh, champagne. Now, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you something about this because, I mean, maybe you know. So, is that a thing, or is that just something? Is that her referring to? Is champagne something that exists, or that you refer to something as that? Because the only time I've ever heard it is here. I've never heard it. I, you know, I actually thought about looking it up, and I didn't bother. It sounds like a parody. Like it sounds almost like. Um, like knock off champagne because you obviously can't, you know, champagne can only come from that one part of country, you know, portion of France. It's called sparkling wine anywhere else. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's probably knock off champagne. That's what my guess. I don't think that's actually something that they made up. I mean, I know I could have easily looked it up and I just never got around to it. I mean, I think of it probably like whatever cheap, buzzy liquor was at the time, like your, you know, your Bartles and James or your Zimas or, Anything that's cheap and you get wasted on it pretty quickly. So I'll say this with their, um, you know, it happens at the golf course um, where, where the action happens. Obviously, as a kid, I'm not going to get the symbolism of what's going on. I mean, did I know how babies were, you know, where did babies come from? Yes. I mean, I knew how, I knew that, you know, a woman gets pregnant. Obviously, I didn't know the mechanics at that point. But, you know, so obviously the symbolism involved, I didn't get it as a kid. When I was watching the DVD, I was like, oh, that's pretty powerful. They're really hitting you over the head with it. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, you know, bing, 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 bing. And then um, they even get more graphic, I think, it with uh, in a later episode where they actually show the Homer sperm actually going into the egg. Yeah, 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 they did that well, one. And that's, um, that'll be for discussion for another time. But Actually, speaking of graphic and speaking of symbolism, now this might be a reach. This might be a reach. Um, but, okay, so when Homer's, because what we find out is that he was living with Barney in that shitty apartment, or at least hanging out with him. So whatever, they're watching Charlie's Angels and eating cookie dough, which, because of course, that's what you do in 1980. I guess. Um, and, <laughs> and then she tells him over the phone, he's holding the cookie dough. Yep. And then, and then he goes like, oh, and like the, the, the whole thing the oozes dough, out. Like, just like oozes out, like splurts out. Now, do you think, is that a thing? Is that, do you think that that's meant to imply something or it's just, a way to illustrate him getting tense when he hears about it. It's, the news. Uh, you know, I think you could take it both ways. They didn't say that in the commentary. They didn't comment on it at all. And um, I mean, if it is, it's more subtle. 
Um, I think sure. it's one of those things that you could take it or you could leave it. I think it's just the fact that he's surprised and he just happens to be eating raw cookie dough and then it just obviously looks phallic and you, you know what the implication yeah. is. That. Sure, that's that's uh, what I mean. Yeah. But uh, I, I, you know what, I, I can, I'll agree with you on that. I think you can, you know, go with, you know, what's, you know, what's implied with that. But I think it's more of a stretch than, um, obviously, the obviousness of what happens at the at the mini golf course. Unrelated, I could say I've never eaten raw cookie dough like that. You were certainly, I remember my mom because it was a thing. We were like, yeah, you can't do it. It's got raw eggs in it. You're not supposed to. And at the time, cookie dough ice cream had become a thing. And um, it was a question of like, is this safe to eat or not? And it's, yes, it was. It was absolutely safe to eat. So, um, yeah. I mean, why yeah. wouldn't it be? Like, all you do really is is cut it up into little circles, put it on a on a, on a baking pan, and yeah, and then you drop it in, and, it, and then that's the whole all you do is anyway. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, there's nothing to worry about that. But I have to appreciate the. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. I think what was it, in Taxi in the Reverend Jim's apartment, he had the giant copper uh, cable wheel as his coffee table, and they have that in Barney's you know real shithole apartment. Yes, that's right. Yeah. You know, yes. I'll point this out too. I think it's interesting that Homer and Marge have been together at this point for six years. It's not you know whether it was on or off, but they were together for quite a long time uh, before this happened. You know who knows what the timeline is, but. They were committed up to that point for already. You know, again, if we assume that they were committed in high school, it's that was 1974. It's 1980, so now that's already six years. That's a that's a healthy that's a good relationship right there. Because that it makes sense. You're with someone for you know six years, and maybe it's time to tie the knot. You know, if, if things are really working, if you're thinking maybe you can move in together, have a family, why not? Right. Um, so I, and I don't see any reason for it to have been an on and off thing. It could totally be a totally good relationship. If she didn't get pregnant before it was cause they were lucky. Cause that's ultimately what, you know, that's how it is. I mean, yeah. you, it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. All it takes is one night of bad luck. Maybe they were using, maybe she was on birth control. Maybe he was using a condom or maybe they were, you know, as they call it, the Vatican roulette. Maybe, you know, maybe they were doing that, you know, maybe they were counting the days or whatever it is. I don't think any point. thought was put into that. I think like yeah. if you if you had to if you wanted to think this through, I think probably Marge was on the pill or something like that. Because right. the pill was definitely around by that point. Yeah. And, to like to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Uh, and, that that uh, makes the most sense. Yes. Yeah. Because I don't think it's, you know, that that's probably we're probably better off not seeing the episode of where the whole idea of him getting March pregnant because we probably would have had some terrible six scene. years six years into their relationship you know that, that that because that's that's kind of your point you know they're here they are they've been together for six years and she hasn't gotten pregnant she gets pregnant this one time that they go out on one date of which we can imagine there have been many dates right well like, he says like, that because he's yeah. been together he had been dating Marge up to that point they were yeah. together for that time so it's yeah you know you know, who knows what, you know, it happened previously. I think it's, it's just the fact that he's only 24 and that, yeah, he has a, you know, he has a kid on the way. I knew, yeah. which again, if we went back, you know, around that time, even around that time, or especially go back a couple of generations, I would be expect a time when you'd have a kid. Sure. It's 20. normal. Yeah. yeah. And my, my dad was also 24 or 25 when I was born. So like, it's, it's a normal thing. It's the normal kind of time period. Yeah. Uh, my, my dad, my folks were a little bit older. They were 29 and 30, which is still young. And then my yeah. sister, I have a nephew now. So, uh, my sister was 26. I guess it just goes back to what I said before about the circles you travel in, you know, where you, where you live and who you hang out with that you think, well, having kids is a normal thing. It's just, um, you know, sometimes I was thinking about, and again, I, you know, as you mentioned before, you know, you were 25, 
I imagine that was that would have been the was that the expected age? You know, something that you knew. You know, you would think, all right, maybe this around the time this is kind of expected of me, that kind of thing. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it wasn't because much like anything else, this wasn't in my case. It wasn't necessarily something that was planned, um, but it was something that was when the time came. It was something that was decided. You know, because again, it wasn't planned, but then it was decided. Right. Yes. You have to make a choice on that. Yeah. That, yes, we're going to go through with this. Okay, fine. So, so that's the thing. Like, yeah, it happened at that time. I didn't ever think about it. You know, it was like, I, I thought, well, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. It's not something that I wanted, certainly. Um, but when it happened, I said, well, then I guess, I guess it's okay. I guess the time has come for me to do this. And that's it. I th- and I do think that, you know, 24, 25 is, is a reasonable time for it to happen. You know, uh, I think too, you know, much before that is probably not a good idea. And well, as far as much later, uh, that depends on the person. I mean, yeah, it depends on the person. I, yeah, I agree with you. On the person. That yeah, depends I agree on the person. With you. But, uh, but it would be more about like maybe 24, 25 is like the earliest that it should happen. If you're, if, if you're younger than that, you might not be ready for it. Cause, uh, yeah, it's for, a maturity uh, thing. Yeah, so it's probably not a good idea. You know, but, you know I'll, I'll do respect to anyone who's had kids that young, but it's probably a better idea if it's in your in the second half of your 20s as opposed to the first half of the 20s. Yeah. and Certainly not then, your teens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, because as I said, it's a, it's a maturity thing. But at, after a certain point, you know, you have a you know whole life here and, you know, that's your responsibility to take care of that child. And, you know, and you don't want to do anything that's unfair to the child, you know, unfair to the kid. One of the important things is when you name your kid. Oh, like, oh this is great. I'm glad you brought yeah, that up. Yeah. What, 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 are, what are you going to name the kid? Because like... He goes, like, you can think of any name you want, right. you know, uh, and a lot of, like, hippies uh, are are responsible for inflicting torture on their children by giving them these really fucking weird names. But my point is that what do you do? You know, it's a it's a big responsibility because that's the name. The kid's stuck with that name. Right. You know, uh, until they can legally change it as adults, they're stuck with that name. Oh, so yeah. you've got to be really careful what you and, name and that's a kids. great, great use of humor is the fact that Homer misses yeah. the most obvious one with Bart. And yes, uh, I was going to say that because he like he's thinking of like he goes like she's throwing out suggestions and he's going like what like what kids might call him at school to tease him and whatever else. Right. And and he's doing it by playing the, the name game as is what we see because he goes like what about Bart and he's like Bart cart dart yart and I was like all right yes and he he's fine with that Homer you forgot about the verse that goes banana fana faux fart yeah um, you know you forgot about that when you're playing the name game but anyway uh, well, I, I loved it I, I'm glad you mentioned that that, that was I was going to have this whole thing about um, I, I remember having this conversation with my mom because we actually had this old baby book in the uh, house and I remember seeing little tick marks for possible names I asked my mom yeah. I was like Hey, what names were you considering for me at the time? I, I thought this was interesting. And then, you know, and then I learned, like, at one point I was going to be named Ethan, but my dad got knew a guy named Ethan that he hated. So I was like, we're not going to name the kid after someone I don't like. So we're not going to do that. All and right. then I could have been named Gabriel, which would have been interesting, or Elliot. And this is, you know, maybe right around E.T. or something like that would have came up. But I imagine you must have had. Did you have a similar conversation when uh, naming your daughter or anything like that? I imagine not to like to the <laughs> point where you're making fun of the name. You know, trying to think of what the you know the mindset of an eight year old is going to do on the on the playground. Yeah, no, I wasn't. Um, I, the, our conversation wasn't that detailed. Didn't play the name game, 
And it wasn't so much, I didn't think about the specifics of what she would be called, like how she would be teased at school. Because <laughs> you know uh, the kids of the playground are, gonna come, are going to come up with something. They're merciless. Know, yeah, that's the thing, because that the one thing that Homer does not account for is that it doesn't matter what the fuck you're called. Yeah. Because like because a kid, when they want to tease you, they're going to figure out a way to tease you. Oh, yeah. You know, if, if your name doesn't lend itself well to an alliteration, they'll think of something. Kids are clever. Oh, yeah. And they're, yeah. yeah, again, they're mean like that. I think it was. Yes. Yeah, so they'll, they'll find something else to call you. Like, it's not going to matter. They'll make up a name for you if they yeah. have to. Oh, they will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like that, so that won't matter. The, the, the thing about it is that it was just about, you know, a, a name that, that she might like, right? It was ultimately, it came to that. Try to come up with a name that was not too traditional, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and also not, you know, she she wasn't. I remember that my ex-wife was like, "I'm not gonna. I don't want her to have my name because that's gonna be three. Because she was named after her own mother. Hmm. So it'll be like like so it'll be three of us with the same name. So we're not doing that. No way. And then and then it was like, so let's think of this other one. And this other, so you know, that's really what it was all about. It was more logistics. It was more about a name that we thought was nice, sounded nice, and that would fit. That's how that went. But no, it was not the way that Homer did it. It wasn't about, yeah. oh, how will they tease her? <laughs> it, it was, which is, you know, I, I suppose it's a valid conversation to have. But uh, I mean, also, it's yeah. just there's going to always be new and exciting ways for children to torture each other that way. Uh, I know the, the conclusion of how I got my name was that at the time, and this is also why you see a bunch of guys my age with the same first name, is because at the time, Joshua was not a popular name around in the early 80s so everyone had the same idea and they all named each everyone named their their sons joshua and that's why there's now a cluster of you know guys my age with the same first name i mean i remember when it's just generation generationally there are just these names that come up now that's why we all are all you just suddenly the name joshua just started coming up more and more and more let me ask you this did you ever ask that about with your dad like why'd you get the name that you got well i mean i actually know that story Oh. Um, and and I, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll tell you that. But uh, but before before I say that, just to sort of uh, not not lose track of this, um, I had a, I had not thought about that in terms of Joshua, uh, of it being clustered at a specific time in history, because I know a lot of Joshuas, and I and I well, I mean, a lot is a is a strange word to use, but I know several. several. Yeah. I know several Joshuas. Uh, one of my best friends, his name is Joshua, uh, and I knew at school Josh, right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I knew several Joshes uh, growing up and in life, so but it never. So I just thought it was a fairly common name, you know, a fairly common name like John. You know, those, those, I, I always thought of it as a fairly common. Well, name. Well, John is like the most common. It, male it's absolutely. Name. It is. I and thought then, it was basically. I mean, not 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 to. Please don't take this the wrong way. Yeah. But I, but I I always thought that Joshua was like the the Jewish version of John, you know, I always thought of it that was, oh, it's a fairly common name. Um, you know, it's no, a fairly it's, it's, common you're, you're not wrong name. in that. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly a name. Joshua, Aaron, like those two. Aaron, Howard, Howard, fairly common within Barry, you know, a certain cultural spectrum. Yes. No, you're right about that. So, yeah. Uh, so our final word on the episode, because we've been talking for a long time here. Yeah. Um, so our final word on the episode is that uh, this is good. I wanted to do one final thing on the on the ending. Okay, uh, I think that the way that 
uh, Homer ultimately gets his job is is funny. Um, it's but depressing. What do you think about it? <laughs> well, yeah, yes. It, but the thing is, it feels a little anticlimactic in, at first because you go like, that's all he had to do? Okay. It, it feels like something where the writers, like looking, trying to look at it from like a writer's perspective, it feels like this thing where they went like, well, okay, so he tries and he fails, but we know that he eventually is going to work at the power plant, so we have to get him there. What do we do? And it's like they couldn't think of anything. And then somebody came up with the clever idea of, why don't we just have him just burst into Burns' office? And, and you know, because of his attitude, which is very forceful, yet, you know, still telling him, look, I'm going to kiss your ass. You know, I, I'm going to have no spine. I'm, you know, like, I'll be a complete lackey. Uh, I'll have no personality. But doing this while being very full of personality and charisma. It's interesting. And it works. But it feels a little bit like they just tacked that on. It's a send-up of those... Um scenes where like the guy's going to go down to the boss's office it's what leads to usually the slow cap slow clap where right, he tells right. off the boss or something like that right, right. and it's a send-up of that because he's not he's you know as burns says he is feisty yet spineless yes. and um we've already known he he blew the interview he completely fucked it up i mean there's right he's not qualified but because he's so assertive in the fact that he's unqualified that I guess that in Burns' eye, it made him endearing in such a way that, ah, eh, we'll just hire this, you know, this boob here and, uh, you know, put him somewhere. And even though he's eminently unqualified to do the job. It's that is then counteracted by him at the hospital telling off Patty and Selma. And that's a very satisfying dramatic moment. That actually works as a climactic moment for the episode where they've been treating him like shit the entire episode. Mm -hmm. And at the end, he's like, shut the fuck up. You know, I, like, you know, he doesn't use those words, but he basically right. just, you know, he tells him, he says, like, like, he says, shut up. And then, like, he's like, I'm paying for this. I have a job now. You can't treat me that way. You're going to have to respect me now if you, you know, if you want to be a part of this family. Right. And so, like, even though, yeah, they, they, they continue to disrespect him in future episodes. But the point is that for this one moment, uh, it's a satisfying, that's what makes it satisfying. The combination of him getting his job in, in a very ridiculous way and then standing up to Patty and Selma, who are essentially the foils of the episode. Hey, who wants to get rich today? Me, 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 I said it first. <laughs> first, let me assure you that this is not one of those shady pyramid schemes you've been hearing about. No, sir. Our model is the trapezoid that guarantees each investor an 800% return within hours of your initial... Uh oh, the cops! So yeah, well, so what's our final word on the episode? It's a it's a wonderful episode. It's a classic. The poignancy of it is on the level of the way we was, especially for anyone who's become a parent, had their first kid, or is watching their kid growing up. Again, I think it's we're seeing more of that blend of the sentimentality and the humor. Humor increasingly being brought more to the forefront, and it's 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 another classic in that in this era of, of where practically every episode is is gold and you're never going to have a run like that in this show ever again and honestly i can't think of animated shows like that that have had at least this kind of concentrated run that we're looking at 
Yeah, great. Uh, actually, you know what? Uh, before we go, I think I'll. Um, I, I didn't. I forgot. I was going to tell you where I got my name. So the. I mean, I was named after a Monty Python sketch. You know, I, I, I'd love to say that I was named after some some like Nordic character or something cool like that, but nope. I was named after a Monty Python sketch. That's great. That's as far as that's as far as it goes. That's it. That's it. Come closer. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? The hunter has become the hunted. <laughs> oh, God, Smithers, I feel so alive. <gasps> so that's it for this week's installment of The Simpsons Countdown. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this, consider showing your support. It's really very simple. Give us a like or a favorable rating. This podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, Anchor FM, and other podcasting platforms, so adding a brief review, if possible, might actually help boost the podcast's profile. And if it isn't too much trouble, please do share this with all your friends on social media. Speaking of social media, you can follow the Eric's Antoine Network on Facebook or subscribe to it on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at Eric's Antoine Net. And feel free to find me and follow me on Letterboxd, where I frequently post film reviews you may or may not agree with. That's up to you. I'm Eric's Antoine, and I'll be back next week to discuss Radio Bart, in which Bart celebrates his 10th birthday, plays an elaborate prank on all of Springfield, and then falls down a well. Clay McCormick of the Penske File will be on hand to discuss that with me, and I hope you'll join us. In the meantime, stay safe out there, Get vaccinated as soon as you can. See you soon. The year's most talked about film. The year's most acclaimed movie event. The year's box office smash will be the year's top renting video. The year's best kept secret is... Shh.